Well, hey, you guys, I am so glad that you're joining me today. I am coming to you from the studios here at Firmly Planted Family. And got to tell you, things are kind of quiet because it's on spring break. And you guys might have noticed if you're watching this on YouTube that I'm a little dressed down today because it's spring break. And so I'm going to answer your questions. We're going to take it in a bit of a casual manner. It's going to be fun. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. All right. Well, I want to say thanks to everybody who is continuing to send me uh, questions here at the Off the Bench podcast. I love that you're doing that. If you're watching on YouTube, you may notice that I am wearing the Type 1 Prototype sweatshirt for the new swag for the season that's out for my speaking season. This verse is taken out of Isaiah. He makes me into a polished arrow. I got the first one off the press, and then we noticed that it had an, a, a little typo on the back. So not the final, but I love I love this sweatshirt, and it flew off the shelves when we were out on the road last week, and it answers in Genesis, and we're just getting them back in stock. So if you guys would like to make a statement about your faith, go to HeidiStJohn.com and click on the store, and you'll see all the new swag there for the new season, including the flame uh, necklaces that just came off hot off the uh, hot off the presses. So we're very excited about the new merch for Faith That Speaks and the ministry here at Heidi St. John. All right, I'm going to jump into your questions today because... As always, you guys have some great ones, and I decided uh, this morning as I was getting ready to come in here, I was thinking, you know, I'm just going to go through these as quickly as I can, answer as many as I can, and then I got here and I realized there's way too many. So I might do some uh, tomorrow as well. So if I can't get through as many as I wanted to today, we're going to get to them tomorrow. So if you've got questions, you guys know the drill, HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday is how you can find it. Also. You can email. I've had several of you asking, can I just email? Frankly, we like it better when you go to the website at the Mailbox Monday because then it keeps everything in a form for us and it's much easier to organize them and put them in some sort of a, uh, an order to put on the air. But if you want to email us, the way to do that is just go to info, I-N-F-O, info at HeidiStJohn.com. All right, let's check this out. So a first question is kind of an important one. Carrie in Alabama she said, Heidi, I'm struggling with a decision to have surgery to prevent me from having more children. I'm currently pregnant with my sixth boy, and I'm 40 years old. Children are a blessing from the Lord, and I don't want to sin against God by not trusting my closing of the womb to him. If I have surgery after my son arrives, am I in the wrong? I'm so sad to close this chapter on my life, but pregnancy isn't easy on me physically or emotionally as I suffer from postpartum depression after each pregnancy. Considering all of this and the state of the world, I feel like maybe I should get the surgery. It's easy to say I don't want to have any more children, but it's hard to have a surgery to make it permanent. Can you please shine light on this for me? As I know you had your last baby at 40. So yeah, you right, Carrie. I actually had my last baby at 41, almost 42. And I, I always tell people I never, when I was younger, ever thought that I would have kids into my 40s. But my pregnancy with Sailor Jane, who is now 12 going on 24. Uh, was beautiful. It was one of my favorite pregnancies. I understand the post the struggle with postpartum depression. I've talked about my own struggle with that here at the show. In fact, I did an entire episode on it with my daughter Savannah, who has had a pretty serious struggle with postpartum depression. She just had her fourth baby about uh, seven months ago, and so I'm not unfamiliar with that. And I and I hear where you're coming from. I also hear what you're saying about having kids in your 40s. And listen, as far as I'm concerned, at least for me, 
it wasn't so much about having a baby in my 40s. It was being an active mother as my 40s progressed and now into my 50s when I've still got a 12-year-old who wants to do all the things that uh, her siblings wanted to do when I was a mom in my 20s and 30s. So it's a little bit of a different ball game. But you guys know me. I never talk people out of having babies. Best thing my husband and I ever did was have a passel of kids. That said, there's only one thing, Carrie, that I would correct you on. And that is, and, and people say this to me all the time, you know, look around the condition of the world. The world is is in trouble and it absolutely is. I mean, you guys have heard me talk about it ad nauseum uh, here at the show. I mean, as I'm in the studio today, uh, President Trump's plane is touching down in the state of New York where they're going to start this um, completely irrational, illogical, illegal, unconstitutional total abuse of the system of law and the rule of law in this country to indict uh, President Trump. I mean, Carrie, I'm going to come back to your question, but I just got to (laughs) say, I mean, if you don't laugh, you'll cry, right, at what's happening to our nation right now. The very fact that the Manhattan district attorney would abuse the rule of law this way to turn his office into a system that would promote a political witch hunt, because that's all it is. I mean, if you really want to go after our politicians, well, hey, how about we start with Hillary Clinton? You know, didn't she get rid of like 80-some thousand emails that possibly could have gotten her into trouble? We know Joe Biden is nothing but a career criminal. Uh, let's talk about the Hunter Biden laptop. Let's talk about the deals that these guys have made with Ukraine. Let's talk about the abuse of power inside the White House from Clinton all the way up to uh, Obama and now Biden. But, oh, OK, go ahead and indict President Trump. All right. You know, uh, I got lots to say about President Trump. You guys may have noticed I've been a little more on the silent side with regard to the 2024 presidential nominees uh, right now. But uh, I frankly think this is going to help President Trump. If, if they're trying to hurt him, it's going to backfire. So, Carrie, for you to say we got all kinds of issues in the world today, you're completely right. But when you but I, I would push back, I think, a little bit on having that be an excuse to not have children, because the Bible says that children are a blessing. You guys know that I love the passage from Psalm 127. I'm going to quote from it a little bit. Today, he says, children are a blessing from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So a couple things that I notice about this passage right away, that there are no caveats to having children. The Bible doesn't say that children are a blessing from the Lord uh, unless things are going terrible in the culture. And, and you could argue, I mean, if this is the the reasoning, then Jesus should have never come into the world because he was born in a time when uh, when Caesar Augustus was actually literally trying to kill him. He was born and there were soldiers coming after him to kill him. Now, I would like to submit that most of us would not say the same thing. We look around the world and we go, man, the education system is blowing up. Our government is completely corrupt. All those things are true. But the, but the bringing forth of children into the world is always called by God everywhere that is referenced in the Bible as a blessing. And so I don't want us to start using the excuse for not having children because you – and I've heard it. Like people write into me all the time, boy, I couldn't bring kids into a world like that. Well, tell that to Father God who sent Jesus into the world at arguably one of the worst times to ever have a baby in human history. And yet that's the time that God picked. And so don't let what's happening in the world around you keep you from having children. We either believe God's word or we don't. We either believe what the Bible says in the Psalms that our days have been ordained for us or we don't. And so if we believe that, then we need to act like it. 
That said, your question about whether or not it's wrong to uh, to get a permanent measure of birth control, a lot of you guys know that uh, I had to have a hysterectomy in my mid-40s. I ended up with a hysterectomy for a variety of reasons, but I don't see that as a sin at all. Uh, the, there's nothing in the Bible that talks about it being a sin to uh, to participate in birth control unless it's an abortifacent birth control. And you guys have heard me talk about this before. There are a lot of uh, birth control pills that definitely work by uh, by not allowing a fertilized egg to implant in the uterine wall. Absolutely, IUDs are about uh, abortifacent in nature, meaning they prevent the fertilization of an all or, or the implantation rather of an already fertilized egg. So you're talking about a little human being with DNA of its own that will never uh, existed before and never will exist again. And you're snuffing out their life. And I think a lot of people don't realize that that's what's happening with these methods of birth control. It's a bit of a different situation when you're talking about permanent birth control, whether it's through a vasectomy or through a hysterectomy or having your tubes tied or whatever it is. I don't think that it's a sin. And so I, I wouldn't lose sleep over that. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Uh, it's a controversial topic, I understand, among Christians. A lot of people will disagree with me, but I've studied this inside, outside, upside down, and I don't see the Bible addressing permanent forms of birth control. I think the most important thing is that we recognize that children are a gift. God sees them as a gift, that we don't make decisions based on fear. Your decision to have a permanent birth control uh, done uh, on your body, you know, is between you and your husband and the Lord. But I just want to encourage you not to have it be motivated rather out of fear, because to me, uh, that's a wrong reason. I think that there are perfectly legitimate reasons to have uh, birth control, not to have any more children. Maybe it's health reasons, which was mine. Uh, maybe it's emotional. You guys have relationship issues to consider. But the most important thing is that we don't want our decisions to be based on anything other than what God tells us to do. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You guys may have seen that just a couple of weeks ago, I put an episode, a little clip from an episode of Grey's Anatomy, which I do not watch, a disgusting show, but somebody sent me uh, a scene from a recent episode of Grey's Anatomy in which a woman went in to see her OBGYN and she told her she was you know, uh, pregnant and she said she thought maybe she had miscarried. So the doctor puts a stethoscope you know, up to the belly of this pregnant woman and you hear this beautiful, strong heartbeat. And she says, no, your baby's doing just fine. And then the woman goes on to tell her, well, I suffer from postpartum depression. I just don't know if I can do it again. And so the doctor listens to this woman and rather than say, there's medicine for that. There's help for that. They literally on the air uh, pretended, I guess, because it's acting, right, to take the life of the baby. So because the mother suffered from postpartum depression, the doctor excused the killing of that unborn life. We got things backward in this country. I mean, why in the world would you not say, listen, 
postpartum depression is a real thing. A lot of women have struggled with it. I have absolutely struggled with it over the course of seven pregnancies. And it's a real thing and it's very, very difficult, but there are ways to deal with it, right? So we don't need to abort and kill our children because it's causing the mother a hardship. All that to say, Carrie, and I know I've kind of gone all over the place with your question today. I just want you to hear, I don't see anything biblically that would keep you from having a permanent surgery so that you couldn't have any more children. And I, and one more thing I appreciated that you said is that you recognize that having children is a blessing. And as women, here I'm a woman in my 50s now, uh, I recognize that the window of time in which the Lord allowed my body to be fertile and, and be able to produce children was pretty small. I mean, really, we have a, a just a small window. From the time I was married as a young woman uh, in my early 20s to when I ended up having to have a hysterectomy at the age of, I don't know, 45 or some, somewhere in there, uh, it's a small, small window. And I always encourage moms, you know, take advantage of it. Thank the Lord that he gives you fertility. It's such a precious, beautiful gift. And so uh, I love that you said that it grieves you to not, to realize that you wouldn't be able to have any more kids. I absolutely grieved when my doctor uh, showed me the test results and said, it looks like you're going to need a hysterectomy. I cried over that. I grieved over it. And it wasn't because I wanted more children necessarily. It was because I realized, oh my goodness, this really is over. Like this season in my life that I could have children really is over now. And I think some, and I think I've said to this, you know, to you guys before, I think if we don't grieve, we've done it wrong. We don't realize the precious nature of having children. So anyway, Carrie, all that to say, seek the Lord and God's going to help you. But I don't see anything biblically to say that what you are considering is, is wrong. All right. Um, Fox on the Farm wrote in to say that she was curious about how to do unit studies using missionary stories. Can you point me in the right direction or a podcast that you have done? So that's a really great question. And I'm going to just for a second show you, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, I'll show you a little bit of the books that we use. And I've written on this and we hopefully can link back to some of those blog posts in the show notes today. So first of all, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, these are my favorite stories, hands down, bar none. I've done a ton of them with my own kids, uh, written by uh, the Benjis. Uh, and this one is Corey Ten Boom, Keeper of the Angel's Den. And what I always tell parents, and I don't have time to go into it on the show notes or on the podcast today, I will link to some things in the show notes. Uh, also, you can see that I have the audio version of this. So if you would like to listen to the stories, you can. These stories have literally changed the trajectory in our family because we recognize as a family, God is always at work and he can be trusted. And there's no better place to see that than to read the stories of men and women who followed God with an abandon that most people cannot understand. And yet God does uh, amazing things when we decide, you know, we're going to follow God. We're not going to pursue a, a worldly agenda, an earthly agenda anymore. We're going to say, Father, what do you want me to do? And then we're going to follow him. And so uh, I'm going to give you the example because I had it in my office today. I'm going to give you the example of Corey Tenboom. So if I were to read this to my kids right now and we were going to turn it into a unit study, we would be studying, first of all, so unit studies members taking one thing. So in this case, it's a book, uh, a biography. And exploring every academic angle of it. So if we're going to study Corey Ten Boom uh, and, and really dig down deep in terms of a unit study for her life, we're going to study the, the time in which she was alive. So Corey Ten was born in 1892 and she died in 1983. 
And so that's going to be the time frame that for history's purposes, we're going to look at. So we're going to be thinking what was happening in the world. Obviously, Corey Ten Boom, her story really came to light during World War II, during the Nazi takeover of her hometown or her home uh, of Holland. And this is where the story takes place. Obviously, you can see here that there's a map on the cover of this book. We're going to be studying Europe. We're going to be looking at Holland. We're going to be looking at Germany. Where did the Nazis go? How did they move? Uh, what was the strategy? We're going to study World War II. We're going to study probably World War I. We're going to talk about the Holocaust. Absolutely. And so uh, that, in that way, you you are doing geography and you're doing history. There are lots of ways to incorporate science into this as well. And for example, uh, Corey Tenbu was on a train and they talk a lot about the trains that took the uh, the prisoners from their hometowns to these uh, these death camps and to concentration camps and things like that. So when my kids were little, one of the things that we did was we studied the steam engines and what made a steam engine go, what makes the train go. So that's an aspect of science that you can even incorporate into a book like this. Obviously, um, studying history and geography, probably some of the best ways to do it. But once you study steam engines, now you've got math, now you've got science, you know what I mean? So you basically take a book like this, which will cost you, you know, all of what, seven bucks or something like that. And then you can write your own unit study. I would encourage you to find the places on the map, find out what was happening in the United States. And here's a good question. What took the U.S. so long to do the right thing? Uh, find out who was the president in the United States when this was happening in the life of Corey Ten Boom, uh, when, she, when, uh, when her family was hiding the Jews in, her, in their home. So it's a fascinating way to, to study. And frankly, it's my favorite way to homeschool. And we've been doing it, you know, uh, doing it for decades. And so that is my strong encouragement to you. Check out those books. They're from YWAM, uh, Youth with a Mission Publishing. I can't recommend them more highly enough. All right, here's a question. Anonymous in Virginia. My husband's parents live in the same town. Our children are their only grandchildren as their other son is married to a man. Uh, we have five children and they want to spend time with them. We try to have them over for dinner every few weeks, but their liberal views are impacting our second son, who is only six. He is so confused as to how some can say Jesus is love and the Bible isn't all true at the same time. I don't want our kids to say anything unkind to their grandparents. I'm trying to maintain a relationship with them. However, I find that I'm going to end up saying some hard truths that will have a large impact on our relationship. Is it possible to remain in a relationship with someone who claims to be a Christian while not believing the Bible? Uh, wow. So I can see why you wrote in to me for this question. In fact, I'm going to pick it up tomorrow. This is such an important question. I think I'm going to devote most of my time to the podcast, uh, on the podcast to this question tomorrow when I come back. But the first thing I want to tell you is that your primary responsibility, if you guys have little, little kids at home, if your kids are under your roof at home, or not even just little kids, teenagers, for goodness sake, lean in. Your primary responsibility is not to nurture your relationship with your in-laws, is to bring your own children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And sometimes that means that we can't be in right relationship with the people that are in our lives, even the people that we love the most, because our job is to protect our children from an insidious line of teaching that's in the church right now. It's absolutely why I'm so committed to speaking truth. It's it's 100% why I'm going to take you guys back to, in fact, it's there right now. If you want to go to MomStrong International or faiththatspeaks.com, we're in the middle right now of rebranding. 
that you can have access to the Bible study that I wrote on Genesis chapter 1 to 11. We're going to be doing that for the next eight weeks right here at my uh, my ministry to women. It's so important that we give our children a solid foundation. And if the foundation is being picked apart or eroded or attacked, even by those that are closest to you, your responsibility then is to tell those people there are certain conversations that we do not want you having with our young, impressionable children. And that's difficult. And I'm not saying blow the relationship up, but your job is to protect your own children and the hearts and minds of your own children. The Bible says in Luke 640, Jesus said this, in fact, that when a student is fully trained, he'll be like his teacher. And it makes me sad that we're seeing this in so many so-called Christian churches. Progressive Christianity is something that I just cannot wrap my head around. In fact, I'm going to ask um, Kosti Hinn to address this topic with me. Progressive Christianity, the emergent church, these churches, these denominations, whose theology and doctrine is based on worldly emotion and our ever-changing culture and not the unchanging, uh, undeniable truth of the word of God. The Bible itself says that the grass will wither and the flower will fade. You and I are going to come and go, but the word of God will stand forever. And so your responsibility is to first protect the hearts and minds of your children. And if you're, if you're seeing it, it seems to me, and again, I'm going to come back because I have so much to say about this and I don't have, I don't have enough time today, but it seems to me that if your in-laws are undermining what you're saying, and they are. I mean, if they're if they're saying things to your little children, to your children, that they know that you fundamentally disagree with, that is disrespectful to you as their parents, for one thing, as the parents of these children. And it absolutely needs to be addressed. Now, you want to address it in a loving way. But the fact of the matter is, you are the primary one who is responsible, according to the Lord, for the training up of your own children. And so this makes me sad because I, I hear about it, frankly, every single week here at the show. This is happening all over the place. Some of you guys follow me on Instagram. You'll notice that I put um, a quote of mine up yesterday on my Instagram. And I said that the only answer to a bold lie is bold truth. And it's the reason why I'm so passionate about my Bible studies over at Faith That Speaks. Our faith needs to be a faith that speaks. Our faith needs to have feet. Our faith needs to have a voice. Our faith needs to have a platform. Our faith should be a faith that speaks. And the first place you speak is into the lives of your children and into the lives of your immediate family. And sometimes that causes separation between family members. And so that's why I'm saying I would not, I would encourage you don't attack your in-laws. This is not attacking them, but go to them in love and say, listen, I need to ask you guys. I know that we disagree about some things, but they're very important to my husband and myself and very important to the thing that God has asked us to do, that we train our children in righteousness and that we are the ones who are talking to our kids about the creation of the world. We're the ones who are talking to our kids about human sexuality. We're the ones who are talking to our kids about gender. We're the ones uh, who are the primary influences of our children. And so we're, we are just wanting to gently ask that you stay away from those topics that you know my husband and I would disagree with you on. That's going to be a hard conversation to have. I would say pray over it. And, uh, and you guys, I mean, you've heard me say this many times before. I'm going to say it again. Find a good church. So many churches out there now are woke, they're broken, they're not teaching the whole counsel of God. Find a good church, get yourself plugged in, and study the Word of God. For those of you uh, women who are listening to this, you can join me for my women's Bible study, Faith That Speaks. We are just launching, and I am thrilled, and I'm not even joking, I'm absolutely thrilled to be uh, launching my new study on the book of Genesis. It's called Supernatural, Having a Creator Changes Everything. 
And you guys, I think you're going to be really excited. I know I am very excited about what God is doing, but there are so many wonderful um, things to learn from those first 11 chapters of Genesis. For example, when was the last time that you paused to look at the night sky or notice the delicate features of a daisy? God's handiwork is everywhere. And in fact, the Bible says in Romans that creation shouts his name from the depths of the ocean to the vastness of the heavens. The fingerprints of God are everywhere. God made it all. And Genesis stands out alone in scripture uh, in that it's the first glimpse that we are given into God's absolute authority over all things. In Genesis, other gods are rejected in favor of the one true God. And unlike Greek mythology, which another one of you wrote in to ask me about, the Bible does not allude to the existence of multiple gods. Instead, the Bible asserts that there is only one God. And in Genesis, we learn that, that God has always existed outside of time and that he is without gender. And the very will and word of God is what created everything that we know and everything that we have yet to know. In fact, we're going to come on. I'm going to bring a really wonderful guest on the show in just a couple of weeks. And we're going to talk about UFOs because it's in the news, right? Uh, listen, God didn't need assistance from any other source other than himself. His word alone was all that it took. And you guys, he's worthy of praise. And so we're going to study the creation account in Genesis chapter 1 to 11 and see again that all creation is expected to obey the one and only creator God, sovereign over all creation. There's so much to learn in the book of Genesis. And as image bearers, as sons and daughters of the King of Kings, we reflect God in a way that no other living thing does. And we do it as male or female. We are the Imago Dei, the image bearers of the creator God. And it's an incredible truth to sort of wrap your heart around. That study starts today and you can have access to it right now by just going to momstronginternational.com and sign up. It's a subscription service. It's about $10 a month. Well worth it. You guys are absolutely going to love it. And my friend Ken Ham is going to be coming on as part of our teaching this month and answer your questions live. So that's a membership Bible study service. I hope you guys will check it out. It's also a really phenomenal way to support this ministry. We love you guys so much. I'm out of time for today. I'm going to come back tomorrow and finish talking about this really important topic because I think we need an apologetic for why parents need to be the primary educators of their homes. And sometimes that means that we distance ourselves and even occasionally sever relationships with those around us who ultimately are undoing the thing that God has asked us to do. Don't forget the shirt that I'm wearing today. It looks a little bit different than this, but this is the main idea. The new merch is out. Uh, the Faith That Speaks merchandise is out. He makes me into a polished arrow, the brand new flame necklace that helps remind you that your job in the culture is to be a vessel of the Holy Spirit and to light a thousand fires for the Lord. And you guys can do that. I'm excited to see what God does as you walk with him in this next season. Thank you guys for listening. I will see you right back here tomorrow at the intersection of faith and culture.